Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 31, where we chat with Jack. Please stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. Okay, so Jack, who are you? Okay, so I identify as a straight cis white man. I'm also a scientist and a nerd and a bit of a political junkie. More in 2020. <laughs> I guess that's, yeah. That's it. All right. So um, what drew you to polyamory? My wife. <laughs> so I guess as we'll get into, it wasn't something that I had considered for myself sort of growing up, I was perfectly happy being monogamous and I had sort of accepted that way to live. And it was something that, um, well, we'll get into it later, but it's something that my uh, wife wanted to pursue an open relationship. And so I just explored it through her recommendation and, you know, sort of something that she wanted to do. And so, yeah, at the beginning, it was something that I was doing essentially with her. So what does polyamory mean to you? I guess the broadest definition for me is just having multiple or the being open to having multiple either intimate romantic relationships. But I've heard and seen that people have very distinct definitions of polyamory for themselves. And so I think I'd like to use the sort of broadest definition, which is just that, you know, having multiple intimate relationships and whatever that means for the individual that can vary some people consider it you know very focused on sex other people consider it focused on other types of connections but yeah what if anything do you find difficult about polyamory the things that i guess i find difficult at this particular moment are compersion it's something i'm still working on for myself uh mm -hmm. to try to cultivate that feeling and uh so that's something that i i struggle with i'm working on trying to uh develop feelings of compersion um and actually you know actual excitement for my for my partner's other relationships and for me i guess where there when there's mismatches between my personal approach or desire for uh sharing information or how to reconnect after a date and what my wife would prefer and so you know there's multiple ways to to relate one example of that would be reconnecting after dates and so whether you know one of us me seems to prefer a little bit of space and sort of ease back into relating and my wife tends to want to be very affectionate right away and so you know there's i think that both of those are totally valid ways to want right, to reconnect right. but you know when there's a difference like that then that's tough to navigate it's not you know right it's too difficult right but it's it those are the types of things that come up where it's like okay we got to figure this out so when did you know you're a poly or how long have you been poly so we opened up our relationship or decided um became non-monogamous approximately a year ago there was a one time in the past when my wife dated someone for a brief period but really we became a non-monogamous about a year ago and 
at first I really don't think that I would have that I took on the identity of being Polly myself. I certainly wouldn't have called myself Polly. I was still trying to figure that out and I would say only relatively recently have I really decided that I feel like polyamorous describes me and the sort of defining moment when I decided, oh yeah, I think that really is something I can use to identify myself or something I do identify with is when I realized that if for some reason I went back to being single for, you know, some reason, which I don't predict, right? right? But if I did, I would still want to be polyamorous, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's Mm -hmm. like that realization that, oh, I'm actually doing this for me, you know, and not doing this for my wife or for this particular relationship that I had uh, previously. So So you opened up the marriage about a year ago. How long had you been married before you opened up? So I've been with my wife for 12 years and we've been married for four. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, um, if ever, did you feel different? Well, I think as I mentioned in my identity, I'm a straight, cis, white man and, uh, (laughs) was monogamous for much of my life. So I didn't feel all that different (laughs) until my wife and I opened up our relationship and I started going to poly meetings and I wasn't sure if I fit in. I was, that's when I started like wondering, is this going to work for me? And, you know, do I fit in here? And so at that really starting to go to poly meetups and just trying to see if, if my worldview and perspective, right. Yeah. How did this, Exactly. That's when I started to wonder, okay, and, you know, am I, am I the, the odd one out here? You know, am I actually... We made you feel different. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no, that was on me, but uh, that quickly passed. But at first it was definitely, yeah. Well, I mean, we definitely have, I think, probably an unusually queer-friendly and sort of feminist community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, is fantastic. Yeah, which is yeah. great. And, you know, lends itself to the somewhat unusual situation of the straight yes. white guy feeling exactly. like, wait, yeah. what? I'm a minority <laughs> now? Yeah. Yeah. How does well, this yeah. work? It was really just like the, the lingering, you know, concepts and, and ideas that come along with being monogamous, right? And, and that sort of mindset of relating with people and having relationships and s- still sort of having that myself. And then hearing people talk about in the poly community how, you know, how to have a successful relationship and how people had organized their relationships and seeing how different it was from my own conceptions. And that's where it was like, oh, I'm, I'm different here. I'm not sure if I fit in. And so, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but again, that was sort of early on. Yeah. yeah. So where do you feel you are in your poly journey? So I'm, I feel like I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm really enjoying being part of the poly community in Milwaukee and feeling happy to get to know people both, you know, as partners and also as friends. And, um, that's been really great. And I'm still not fully out to all my friends and family. And so I guess I can see that as like a definite thing to move towards. But other than that, I'm feeling pretty, pretty comfortable. I'm dating. My wife is dating happily. And so, yeah. That sort of implicitly addresses the question, uh, then where do you hope to go? But is there anywhere that you do hope to go that wasn't sort of addressed in that? So other than sort of progressing towards being more out, I actually don't have a strong conception of where I want to go. And as someone who has always wanted to sort of plan everything in my life and sort of 
have something I'm moving toward very specifically, and then now becoming much more comfortable with uncertainty and ever changing, you know, uh, relationship structures and status, uh, both for me and for my wife, it's sort of exciting to just say, I don't have anywhere in particular I'm like aiming to go directly. I'm just sort of enjoying things as they come and, and just trying to actually enjoy where I'm at more than focused on, oh, I need to get to this other place. Right, I want to go over there. Exactly. Yeah. So that's actually been really nice for me. That's been, yeah, very exciting. Oh, that's great. So why do you think you are poly? Well, that's one I didn't think of at the time. <laughs> I guess I should answer this by calling back to my wife. Jen was on the podcast and um, in her episode talked about the fact that she grew up in a community where uh, monogamy was not the uniform standard way that everyone lived. And so she had plenty of healthy examples of, of adults living non-monogamously in a variety of different relationships. And so honestly, being exposed to that through being with my wife, you know, going and seeing her community and, 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 and the people back home and hearing just that perspective has been sort of opened up that like uh, often we talk about in, in poly uh, literature and and podcasts, um, people accept monogamy by default. Mm -hmm. And so just realizing that a lot of those conceptions of this is the way you're supposed to relate actually don't really resonate with me in the way that I thought they did. And seeing that, you know, I can have exactly the kind of relationship I want with my wife and still have relationships with other people that was sort of a revelation for me. And so realizing that there's room in life for that and that, you know, adding more is adding, right? right. And so that really... Making a bigger pie. Exactly, not... yeah. <laughs> and, you know, maybe that's obvious to people who've been poly or really f have felt it in their bones for a long time. But for someone who's relatively new, that was, that was uh, a big discovery for me. So, Jack, why did you agree to be interviewed? I really enjoy the podcast. I've listened to all the episodes, and I think it's really great what you're doing. And so I just wanted to make my own small contribution and support it. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, cool. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. 
Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. All right, and we are back. So, Jack, the topic that you were talking about um, with me off air that you wanted to to bring up today and what we somewhat brought up already was the transition of coming uh, into polyamory, the transition to poly. Yeah, yeah. From an established monogamous monogamous marriage or relationship. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I recall off the top of my head that you've had episodes where you've talked uh, to people who never had a monogamous relationship and myself out included that's, yes that's mm-hmm. you Lindsay. uh and people who started dating someone who was poly and so the begin at the beginning of that relationship they explored polyamory and decided that it worked for them and and uh have become polyamorous i think that was uh, roxanne mm-hmm. uh and then there's examples where a couple will decide to be- become or have an open relationship become non-monogamous together and it's discussed as this thing that they you know both decided and and um wanted to to pursue and i think in that situation there's going to be a spectrum where on one end you might have both people sort of stumbled upon the term polyamory independently and or had this feeling independently and are both fully excited and on board and it's one they something they independently decide they wanted to pursue and then on the other end you might have my case where one partner was very enthusiastic about it and the other partner was just perfectly happy going on being monogamous <laughs> and so it was this brand new thing that was difficult and and uh, required a lot of sort of change in mindset and and so yeah i just thought you know i really appreciate that you actually were willing to come talk about that because you're not the only person who has said to me after the poly meetup like hey you know you should do an interview with somebody who you know opened up an established marriage and even just in that context not assigning agency to one or both parties like that has been something we have been a little yeah. light on in terms of the people who are like, yeah, interview me. So yeah. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah. So um, I think maybe there's a little bit of stigma to it or, or a little bit of guilt from, or I don't know. Awkwardness wanting, maybe? Wanting to hide almost yeah. because I have, you know, listened to poly podcasts and, and books where, they very adamantly say it's not going to work if one partner 
is only becoming poly or only opening their relationship for the other partner. If they're being dragged into right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but then, I mean, you have to remember that we also consistently hear that monogamy is often chosen by default. And, and so if you haven't considered it, right, then even if it might feel difficult and even if you're doing it, you know, sort of I mean, initially being, at being least. motivated to do it by a, um, a partner, then that you know, don't write yourself off, you know, don't, don't give up. Like, yeah. So when opening up the relationship, did you ever consider having a mono poly relationship where your partner was polyamorous and you remained monogamous? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I hadn't considered it in the sense of, I want to stay monogamous and, and, and my wife wants to be polyamorous and have multiple partners. However, one of the things that I did struggle with was feeling that it would be very difficult for me to find partners and considering that it might be that just in practice, it might be that I don't have any partners and she has partners. And so sort of imagining this way of operating was was one of the things that I struggled with because it was something where I definitely felt like I wanted to to have relationships but at at the very beginning we were very nervous about um being outed and mm-hmm. so at the very beginning we didn't want to use uh dating sites and I'm very introverted and don't you know that's going to make it challenging. Exactly, right. And so it's also not something that I felt very comfortable going up to people that I knew and bringing up the subject, oh, would you want to go on a date with me, married, you know, yeah. guy? Because I thought that that's not um, something that was likely to yield good results, I should say, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, so... Very scientifically put. <laughs> Thanks. So be- before we were sort of on dating sites to actually look for partners, I definitely had thought, oh, well, you know, we might in practice end up being sort of monopoly. And yeah, but right from the beginning, no, I think I wanted to also pursue relationships. And yeah. Did you have a lot of like struggle with identity? I know, obviously, you, like you were saying, that like monogamy was kind of something you, that you were default pushed mm-hmm. into and not something that you made a conscious choice about necessarily. But yeah. did you identify as monogamous and then really have to struggle to identify some as a different in a I, different way? I guess I did. Part of it probably had to do with just the reaction of wanting to feel like what I had believed before was right or what I was doing before was right. And so... I don't know, I hadn't consciously thought about about it that deeply until we started talking about having a non-monogamous relationship. And so some of my initial reaction was like trying to defend myself and defend monogamy, right? Mm. In my head, at least, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. As, as something that was good and valid, right? But no, I don't think I uh, strongly identified as monogamous uh, beforehand. It was just something I was perfectly content with and Mm -hmm. and happy to pursue. I did have this idea of this sort of value of 
devoting yourself entirely to one partnership. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I have a very strong sort of caregiver instinct. And so the idea of sort of being of service and to one person, I was, I was sort of drawn to that idea. Um, but yeah, that's past. Now you can be of service to multiple people. Now I can people. be a caregiver yeah. to a lot of people and that's good. Yes. So are there any um, struggles unique to transitioning to polyamory? I think u- unique struggles that are unique to transitioning. I think one of the things that was a struggle for me and that I sort of had to have a change in mindset in in order to successfully, I think, make the transition was the perspective of trying to think of your monogamous, your previous monogamous relationship as the default and then setting up boundaries or agreements to protect that as, you know, protect that relationship from as much intrusion from these new relationships as possible. And so what that led to, at least for me, was trying to manage new relationships in order to avoid interfering with my marriage or my relationship with my wife. And so I would sort of maybe, you know, subconsciously even be asking myself things like, what am I comfortable with my partner doing with someone else? And so the, 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 the change in mindset that, be, that was really, really helpful was focusing instead on what I wanted out of my relationship with my wife. And so then instead of saying, how many nights a week am I comfortable with you spending with someone else? It's how many nights a week do I want to spend together? And then if you can answer that question for yourself, I mean, that alone is a huge help when you're actually focusing on what you want out of the relationship, right? That, right. that in and of like, itself. Like, what do I get out of spending the night with you? And yeah. what do I want to bring to that? And what do I want to receive in that context? Exactly. And, and then, you know, for, at least for me, I quickly discovered that, you know, we could, we could get that. We could get everything we wanted out of our relationship and I could feel completely, um, taken care of and, and completely happy in our relationship. And there was all this room for us to, you know, have relationships with other people. And so it becomes, so shifting the focus to just making sure that my relationship with my wife was exactly what I wanted and we wanted and that we were, you know, fully supporting each other. That made all the rest of it much easier. So yeah, that's a really, I think, great point. Mind shift, mindset mm-hmm. wise, like not because when you think about it, like oh, how many nights is it okay for you to be a part over there? Definitely, kind of has that like, there's one pie and my piece is getting smaller. Yeah, vibe instead of what do I actually want out of this relationship and how does it make me feel? satisfied and fulfilled and Mm -hmm. like it is a healthy vigorous kind of relationship yeah yeah on the opposite end of that question do you think there are any benefits to having started Mm -hmm. in a a monogamous relationship and having had a like 11 year long established relationship before opening up so i don't want to i don't want to for you. Tell other people what to yeah. do, right? But I think that for me, 
the level of trust and comfort, right, in, in the strength of my relationship with my wife meant that it made it, if I felt safer, right, than mm-hmm. I think I would have if we had maybe been dating for a year and I had come into it with this highly monogamous mindset and then she wanted to, to transition. And so I think having that time and that, that strength of our relationship was was a huge advantage for me in terms of successfully, you know, um, so it sounds like there's a lot of opening myself up to becoming poly. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of trust and a lot of intimacy. Yeah, to begin with. Yeah, because there's always going to be things where, you know, there's some conflict. Someone, you know, you come up with an agreement and you misinterpret it, or someone breaks it, or something like that. And so when you have that, that history and that strength of a relationship, you can always, whenever that happens, you can always, it's very easy to come at, at it with the perspective of, I know you still had my best interest in mind. I know you still were, you know, even if you did something I'm not happy with or something that, you know, I'm upset about and we need to talk about, you can assume good intentions. And I think it's maybe easier to do that if you're if you have an uh, an established relationship and level of trust with someone than if there's someone who's relatively new. I don't know. I only have the perspective of someone who's, you know, gone through that. I mean, right. But for you, that felt like a benefit. Yeah, it did. It did for me. And I can see where that sort of level of intimacy and trust, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a big deal and you can't have that instantly. Like it just isn't a thing available instantly. Yeah. So how long does a transition to polyamory take? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a crazy question. Yeah. So at the beginning of the of the podcast, we uh, I think the final question was, where do you want to go on your poly journey? And I talked about being excited about the uncertainty and openness to change. And so I guess my answer to this question about how long does it take I don't think you're ever done. (laughs) And so, again, like, one of the things that's been really helpful is realizing that I don't have to, in order for me to be comfortable in an open relationship and in order for me to be happy being non-monogamous, I don't have to have everything figured out. I have to make sure that my relationships are solid and, and happy right now and make sure that we have open communication, that we can constantly have things changing and react to that, you know, in, in a good way and with openness. And so I think if if you're coming at it with the mindset of, like, when am I going to have it all figured out and it's all going to be easy, you're going right. to be consistently Dead. frustrated. <laughs> well, yeah, well, if you're, if you're monogamous and you're saying, okay, I need, like, this amount of time or once I figure out this checklist, then I'll be totally set with poly. That's, I think, the wrong approach. Or I, I, w- I would suggest that, for me at least, I think it, trying to do that was, was not a very productive uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. For me, it was very much, you know, being comfortable with consistently learning and evolving, right, is, mm-hmm. is I think, the better way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to actually, like, recommend things to people because I'm not an expert. But <laughs> Well, but I think one of the things that people get out of listening to podcasts like this Mm -hmm. is hearing themselves in other people's stories sure and so you know we've had a gap in 
this story that people are looking for. Yeah. So I feel like it, it what you're saying a lot of people can relate to and they want to yeah. hear your thoughts about it. Hopefully, yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Um actually that's something that I was hoping to talk a little bit about. That brings up something that I was hoping to talk a little bit about, which is where to go to for advice and and so you know, there's a huge amount of poly literature out there and, and great podcasts. And for me personally, the multi-amory podcast has been really helpful. And honestly, The Ethical Slut was probably probably the, the most useful book for me so far. Um, not that I've read the entire catalog of poly literature, but, but so far that's been good for me. But what I wanted to, to mention is, because um, you were saying that people hopefully can listen to this podcast and hear themselves and, and other people's stories and get bits of information that's useful. And so I, for me, coming at poly literature with that approach of not, oh, I need to learn exactly the right way to do things, but let me hear different things that might be useful for me mm-hmm. and, and not becoming obsessive with what is good poly and then I have to do that mm-hmm. right right because what's the rule for how to be a good polyamorous person exactly and yeah. again um probably in the first six months that's what I was striving for was just okay I need to learn what good poly is and then I need to do that and then I'll be all set and then realizing that not all of those things or the things that I was interpreting as good poly maybe even uh were things that really were going to work for me and so yeah, I think uh, yeah, um, approaching any any source of information as you know something where you hopefully can get bits and pieces that work for you, and not just a complete list of exactly what you should be doing. And if it doesn't match, you know <laughs> what you yeah. what you expect or what you want, then you throw it away and look for the next book. But actually, yeah, I mean, I think that's like I personally sort of like to approach life in that sure. way. Yeah. Like I like to go to X fabulous storytelling events here in Milwaukee and mm-hmm. their motto is building community through the sharing of true personal stories. And it really is so interesting to like see someone telling a story who maybe you don't think when they first start talking is somebody that you're going to relate to. And then all of a sudden you hear something you're like, Oh my God, what they just described. That's just exactly how things are with me and my mom or whatever. Like, oh, wow. Like they're talking about, you know, some completely different relationship, but I'm hearing a thing. And I love that about listening to people talk about their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something for me with the the multi-amory podcast in particular. I'll listen to an hour-long episode and there will be like five minutes in it. That is just perfect and just Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) what I needed to hear and really helpful. But, you know, you never know when it's going to... Yeah, five of the last six minutes in the episode this week. (laughs) Was it difficult to get back in the dating scene after not dating for so many years? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you did end up using uh, dating apps. I did. Yes. So I'll reveal my age here. So I'm 33. I met my wife when I was 21, and I'm a as I mentioned, scientist, nerd, introvert. So I didn't do a whole lot of dating before that. And so, well, sort of side notes, one of the things about not just dating new people, but uh, in terms of difficulty with getting in the dating scene or, or whatever, everything I learned about how to be in a relationship and how to be a good partner came from learning that with my wife as we were trying to figure out as, you know, 
22, 23 year olds, how to, you know, live with someone and how to, you know, how to have a successful relationship. And so I wasn't someone who was reading relationship books or anything like that. So everything came from experimentation and firsthand, uh, you know, just learning through relating with her. And so so you learned now. really well how to be a good partner to her. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and so one of the interesting things for me in terms of dating new people and being exposed just to the poly community is seeing the different ways other people structure their relationships and, and relate with each other. And so that has been very interesting for me and, and exciting just to, to learn more um, about how different people organize their lives in terms of relationships and so yeah but uh in terms of getting into the dating scene i guess yeah dating apps for me has been the best um tool because i'm not someone who's particularly outgoing in normal social situations and i think knowing that you can seek people who are non-monogamous uh, and who are looking for people to date, it's just easier to, to be upfront about it through a dating app than, you know, a normal social situation where you might not know if someone's non-monogamous, you might not know if they're looking for a partner. And so there's these other barriers that for someone who's introverted or um, may prove too much to sort of overcome. Mm-hmm. I haven't done a lot of dating, even, you know, uh, since since opening up. I figured out what I wanted to say. It's more of a comment than a question, but it does kind of tie into this. I recall meeting you and your wife pretty close, maybe close to a year ago. I don't Mm -hmm. remember exactly, but at a social gathering Mm -hmm. and then, you know, running into you guys at a couple of other social or after local poly meetups. Mm -hmm. And you seem much more relaxed over the course of this year. (laughs) And I feel like that's probably going to produce better results in your (laughs) attempting to date and sort of be out there because... Like you just seem like you're, I mean, you know, when somebody seems a little tense and stressed out, it's kind of like, it makes other people nervous. Sure. (laughs) Like when you're nervous, they get nervous. It's sort of a nervous energy then permeates. I agree. The first couple of times I met you, I remember your wife. Yes. Well, how could you forget? How can you forget? Yeah. And I remember you not talking. Like, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's another thing. Um, You know, uh, we had by sort of default entered this this way this uh um division of responsibilities in our monogamous relationship where i would handle bills and (laughs) cooking and cleaning and make sure that you know the house was organized and she would handle social uh, (laughs) our social lives Mm -hmm. and so she would be the one to make sure we had friends to go out with and and so i would tag along and so that was like the only way i was um socializing primarily uh and so now being polyamorous socializing on my own whether it's dating or just going to meet up uh the discussion group or the socials being more independent has been something that has i mean it's been great for me uh, it's also been one of the things that I sort of struggled to develop and mm-hmm. and sort of have had to put a lot of attention on. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely a big change in my life. Um, yeah, well, just becoming great. more independent, I think. And It seems like it agrees with you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I'm not particularly looking to date a bunch of people. I'm pretty happy dating one 
or maybe two mm -hmm. uh, people in, in addition to my wife. So that's, I think, yeah. Yeah, not a super high polysaturation point. Exactly, right, yeah. So I've talked about, or I've mentioned in passing to some of my friends who are in monopoly uh, relationships that the mono person, it's really just that their polysaturation limit is one at the moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's not that they're, for them in particular, it's not that they're averse to the idea of dating someone, but at the moment it seems like... right. That, you well, know, and one, you know, logistics in life sometimes, mm -hmm. like oh, sure, you just, yeah. mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I don't have room on my plate for more dating or yeah. more relationships. Cause mm -hmm. you know, if you want to have a relationship as opposed to just going out sure. and having fun, mm -hmm. which there's nothing wrong with, but it's a different sort of category of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes yeah. emotional labor and mm -hmm. you have to, be ready for that. And if you're not, then it's not going to work very well. Yeah. And I think both poly people and mono people, different people have different uh, preferences for whether they want a very large social circle and they're hanging out every night with different people or whether they're, you know, they have a pretty small but tight knit group of people they relate to. And so, you know, I think I tend towards the wanting a, a smaller number of people who right I so you're still an introvert you're just exactly. an introvert who has multiple relationships yes exactly yeah that makes sense well it's funny uh when we first started talking on okay cupid mm -hmm. your wife messaged me and said just by the way he's shy so keep talking to him. oh my god <laughs> she never told me yeah. that actually oh my god that's funny that. yeah my biggest advocate yeah. <laughs> right <Wow. laughs> Well, I remember you coming to the book club where we yeah. read Ethical Slut, and mm -hmm. it was like, oh, like this guy's talking and he's got stuff to say, and his yeah. wife isn't here, and it's like interesting <laughs> to you know, just hear the different, like yeah. here you are, you know, still clearly on the more quiet end of the spectrum, sure, but like, yeah, he does have ideas and things yeah. that he wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think of the two of us, I think that I've enjoyed more going to the the discussion groups uh, between my wife and, and I, uh, I've enjoyed going to the discussion groups more and going to the, the book club at the tool shed and, and those sorts of things. I've really, really enjoyed that. That's been a, um, one of the great things for me for, um, opening up what, I guess I should, I, I don't know where this might go. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I have to credit with having transitioned successfully from being identifying as monogamous, maybe by default, to identifying very strongly as polyamorous is the fact that there is this strong community here in Milwaukee and the fact that it wasn't just my wife and I deciding we were going to date other people and then sorting it out on our own and maybe going on online dating sites and trying to find people, but actually immediately finding the meetup group and going to the socials and going to the discussion groups and I think that's been yeah that's definitely something I'd recommend to anyone considering um trying to open up a relationship or or get out there and find some peers yeah and not even I mean I haven't pursued anyone through the socials or anything like that as a partner it's just been finding a community where you can be open about the way you live and well sort of side note as a liberal lefty from california <laughs> i was struggling to find mm, my community ah. in milwaukee as well in that respect sure and so feeling like i could openly talk about my favorite primary candidates for 2020 <laughs> and my love for liz warren and not worry who i was going to offend that's mm. also that's a big thing so yeah 
I think maybe that also played into how much I've taken to polyamory is the fact that we were new to relatively new to the city and this was a way that we found a really great community just in general right because you, you opened up and then moved or you moved and then we opened moved up? Uh, uh and two to years ago oh okay and then a year ago we opened up mm. just about yeah. that's a lot of big transitions yeah. yeah yeah and i mean yeah i would say being away from family and friends and feeling like we could do it sort of on our own and explore it um, also probably helped. That makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Like, I I am from here, but mm -hmm. I was gone for a long time. And yeah. figuring out who I was mm -hmm. was a lot easier to do not around family and people who had known you forever who have a sort of more rigid concept of who you are. Yeah, yeah. And especially if you're not sure yourself whether it's something that is going to work out or not, and you're sort of tentative about it and, and have some hesitation, you know, outing yourself to your family and friends can be difficult because what if it turns out that it's not what you want? And so, yeah, that I think would have been very difficult for us. And so I think that being here has also helped um, in that respect. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about related to polyamory? I guess the only thing that we didn't cover that I, I actually wanted to get your thoughts on were um, when I brought up the idea of being concerned with doing things because they're good poly versus doing things that work for you. One of the things that, that I uh, one of the concepts that I struggled with when I was trying to understand it in terms of polyamory was the idea of independence and the idea of avoiding codependency in relationships and what that really meant. And I think um, at one point I was interpreting independence as a very sort of lonely way to live because if you're, yeah, you're just sort of, I felt to me sort of isolated, uh, you know, if you weren't really partnered with someone and and working towards shared goals and aspirations and not letting them be intertwined with your life and your decision making because then that's codependent then you know to me the the sort of pulling that apart to to maintain your independence uh to me felt sort of lonely and and i think i my perspective now is on on maintaining your independence and your relationships is that being independent means not letting someone dictate your schedule and your actions. And I completely agree with that. But I think that if you decide for yourself that you want someone to be a priority in your life and you want them to be happy and cared for and feel safe, that it's okay to maybe check in with them or maybe not make a particular decision or take a particular action until you've talked about it. And, um, I'm not sure whether that's in line with the the sort of ideal of independence. I feel like there's a little bit of, um, maybe that's a little bit too much in terms of like involving your partner in your decision making, um, but it's become my perspective and it's something that I think works for me. And, and um, I was just curious what your perspective was on, on that in particular. And then also whether there's anything, if you have any examples of things that 
you've heard that are good poly or you know you know from from podcasts or literature that this is the good poly way to do things but it doesn't at all work for you and you have chosen somewhere completely different (laughs) i thought that might be useful for your listeners to hear examples it's so dependent on on the decision right Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't necessarily consult my husband on things that yeah just seem silly but if it it affects our like nesting situation or if it affects our child or if it Mm -hmm. affects our and even as simple as time management like i definitely let and i share a google calendar with my husband to let them know when I'm scheduling a date, because that mm-hmm. also affects, uh, you know, childcare. And yeah. so I think I, I check in a lot, but I don't ask for permission, sure. you know, like, so I think it's mostly like uh, keeping an open line of communication and not necessarily asking for things or, yeah. you know, yeah. So I think I that know. makes a lot of sense. I, I identify as solo poly mm-hmm. and I don't have a nesting partner. So there's not somebody who I would logically ask permission for just about anything about, but I do share my calendar with a number of partners and friends and try to figure out, you know, the challenging logistics of things, thinking about, okay, you know, I can see your calendar here mm-hmm. and boy, your calendar and my calendar are really out of sync. Let's prioritize like, okay, when are we going to be able to find some time? Okay, looks like it's three weeks from Tuesday. Like, oh, this sucks. Is there anything we can do about this? (laughs) And I'm afraid that one of my partners is going to feel very called out hearing that. Sorry. (laughs) But I mean, it it is just one of the logistical realities of Polly and particularly, you know, as a parent that with primary custody, that complicates my situation a lot which relates to I think what you're saying like Mm. it's not that I ask my children's permission for anything but I certainly have to take their needs into the uh, much higher level of consideration than I do anybody else's and that I mean it is complicated Um, but I think you know even when you're talking about partners and not people who are too young to make their own fully independent decisions you want to be considerate of people and you know think about how is this going to affect my other partners if i take on whatever you know whether it's a volunteer commitment much less another relationship or a whatever kind of thing or you know you want you want to have a positive impact on your partner's lives and that doesn't mean not doing things that you want to do, but it does mean thinking about them and taking their needs into consideration when you figure out how you're going to do the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Making thoughtful choices. And, yeah. 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 I mean, again, this may have just been a complete misinterpretation on, on my part. I'm, I'm totally willing to accept that in terms of what independence really means and what codependency mm-hmm. means. And, uh, when people are describing them as things to do and not to do in relationships, but, um, well, I think it also perspective really matters, right? So yeah. you got involved with your wife when you were 21, you said. Yeah. And so you kind of grew up in yeah. your marriage. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get married until I was in my mid 30s. Yeah. And so I spent a long time as a single adult. Mm-hmm. And so we just have a different experience of what independence yeah. and codependence yeah. look like yeah. or might look like. And that's going to shape the way we hear things yeah 
And I mean, you know, if you're in a monogamous, long-term monogamous relationship, or, or at least for me, uh, you know, I thought of us as a team and really, uh, you know, we were partners. And so, so when I'm starting to read the poly literature and read about, you know, oh, in being independent and not consult, not letting other people dictate your decisions, it's sort of, I had a bit of a panic about, oh no, we can't be a team anymore. We gotta, we gotta, you know, mm. do our own independent thing and, and not, I can see where that would be really organize stressful. Organize our lives together, yeah. and and so I think at at first that that maybe misinterpretation was really sort of scary, and really did feel like it was a fundamental change in the relationship. But I think, you know, at this point, I think of it as how you know we both want each other to have everything we want in our lives, and so how so the the thinking is you know how can we help create space and support for each other to achieve whatever goals the other person has whether it's career or whether it's relationships and mm-hmm. and um well and maybe the team has got additional exactly yeah and yeah i think trying to again trying to drive towards what i was interpreting as good poly was sort of and that moment was very difficult and so i think opening myself up to saying well what's really going to work for us and what's going to work for me and maybe if it doesn't necessarily agree exactly with with the recommended you know way to be poly maybe that's okay and i think one of the things that really has driven this home for me recently is the um the prevalence of kink conversations that's been uh in my life recently through i'm not i'm personally not kinky but um through the discussion group and through certain podcast episodes there's been a lot of talk of kink and and hearing people describe master-slave dynamics and relationships and just in my head checking off boxes of all the sort of good poly advice that it seems to break in terms of you know (laughs) letting someone else dictate your actions and and um and yet it's completely accepted that if this is something that two people are consensually agreeing to you know then it can be a very healthy relationship and so seeing that there are examples of relationships that seemingly would break all these sort of good poly rules and yet still um, are... are yeah. I wanted to come back to your other sure. question to us about that, yeah, yeah. actually, because I've been sort of noodling on this as we've been talking. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that our community tends to value very strongly is the idea of kitchen table poly. Yeah. And I don't want to denigrate that in any way. I have some wonderful relationships that clearly fall into that category. Mm-hmm. And not all of my relationships work that way. And, you know, the sort of idea of parallel poly where there's less interaction between partners or metamors, like, I think that can be great, too. And that's not something that as a community gets a lot of attention, I think, in our discussions, because there's so many very enthusiastic Mm -hmm. proponents of kitchen table poly. And just to back up like, the kitchen table like everybody can just hang out and say excuse me you know pass the butter or whatever yeah strong level yeah. <laughs> of comfort with right. your metamors and, right. and friendships exactly. with them yeah. exactly and again that is absolutely fantastic when that's the dynamic that works yes and yeah. there may also be equally fantastic relationships where one of the partners just does not really want to be absorbed into a whole new friend group mm-hmm. like they already have their functioning life and like they want to add 
you to that functioning life as opposed to you and your whole constellation. But both are good. Mm-hmm. And I also think good poly, I feel like there are two kind of two groups in the poly community that are butting heads all the time. And it's the relationship anarchists, those folks that actually really love kitchen table poly because everyone, they want everyone to be equal and everyone to be treated with respect and mm-hmm. happy, lovey, good times. And then there are hierarchical polyamorous relationships. And that group of people who think uh, that primary relationships come, the primary relationship comes first, always they are the most important person. And that's about safety and respect and protecting each other. And their good poly are opposites of each other, you know, like, so when I started, I was in a hierarchical relationship. Mm -hmm. And I thought good poly was keeping a list of rules that could not be broken. And, and if, if you did, you were betraying your partner, and you were cheating, and our relationship comes first, and no one else should ever be as important. And there are things that you shouldn't do with other partners that you do with your primary there were so many things that I thought was good poly. Yeah. And then I transitioned into the other like relationship anarchy poly group and realized, wow, all that shit I did in my twenties was really fucked up and weird. And I did, I don't agree with any of it anymore. So, so I think it depends on who you're looking at for giving you good poly advice. Yeah. It's yeah. very difficult to, to navigate and decide what's good advice versus what's, truly a, a problematic way to, to have a relationship versus what's maybe good advice but doesn't exactly work for you and so you want to do something slightly different and there are lots of ways to to to, do, to relate so and no matter what camp you're in society is probably going to say you're wrong anyways sure. you know yeah. like yeah. they're going to say they're it's all bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and again i mean Maybe all of this is very familiar to people who who have read a lot of poly literature or who have been poly for a long time, but uh, perhaps for newbies such as myself, it can be really difficult to to realize as you're starting to read things and as starting to learn how to be poly that you don't have to accept it as dogma, whatever you're mm-hmm. reading. And there's going to be a lot of different perspectives on on the way to have to manage open relationships. And so, yeah, don't take everything you hear at first you know glance as this is the way i have to do it mm-hmm. yeah. well and you also have to kind of sift for what's going to fit your yeah. actual life mm-hmm. and i think that's maybe one of the areas that is a difference both as a sort of point of view and also as a practical matter in the sort of relationship anarchy versus hierarchy conversation like probably as actually implemented in real life they are not quite as far apart as they are in philosophy because people have typically not a lot of nesting partners not a lot of marriages not a lot of mortgages with people and so there are ways that hierarchy is baked into life that no matter how much you might declare a value Mm -hmm. Practical reality also plays a role, and yeah. your your relationship has some hierarchical elements. Even if you take a philo- philosophical approach of I don't want to excessively privilege these relationships just because they also include these other things. Yeah, and there there might by practicality emerges some degree of priority, you know, of certain relationships over others, mm-hmm. um, even if you don't ascribe to hierarchy is something that you want to 
practice yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, it, often, I, I mean, I feel like one of the things that's sort of challenging about acknowledging a hierarchical relationship is that you sound like an asshole if you say like, <laughs> no, I, you're, you're my number two. I'm right. <laughs> like, I, I really like you second or third best. Like, yeah. that just sounds dickish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a really, that's a great point. Comparison and ranking, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, uh, one of the things that has been extremely helpful for me is avoiding comparison and ranking in terms of defining my relationship with my wife. And I feel like if you have a existing partner and you decide to go from being monogamous to non-monogamous, you might want to maintain your priority and you might start to have things of, I want you to love me the most. I want to be the best X, Y, or Z. I want to be your number one. Right. Yeah. Um, and for me, av consciously avoiding those sorts of comparisons and rankings and not saying the strength or value of our relationship is defined by being better than relationships with other people, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, avoiding that comparison has, I think is really helpful because then you're not, yeah, you're not deciding how good your relationship is based on how it compares to other people. You're deciding how good your relationship is based on the how, actual right. things you're sharing with each other and the actual, yeah, experiences I think that goes you're to having. And so, yeah, I think that that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's when you were really... talking about how, to, like, what you need to have a fulfilling relationship with your exactly. wife. And yeah. it turned out there's also room to have other fulfilling relationships. Yeah. I feel like that goes right there. Like, yeah. relationship, this relationship has a different character than that relationship, and they're both awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, to give a PG-13 example, you know, if you're defining one of the things that you bring to the relationship is, I'm the best dancer, Right. Or and then someone else comes along who's a better dancer than you. You know, if you defining yourself as being the best at this thing with your partner, then it can be really deflating to find out that's, you know, they're meeting someone who might be better at that than you. Right. right? And so just avoiding that type of comparison from the beginning, I think, is. Yeah. Right. And just reveling in what you enjoy about exactly. this person and yeah. your connection with them. Mm hmm. And learning how to have compersion that your partner gets to dance with other people. Yes. <laughs> yes. Also, this I love that this is such a Doctor Who analogy because every time Doctor Who has sex with somebody, he calls it dancing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Okay. All right. Well, then maybe it wasn't as PG-13 as I thought. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, they never... I think we all It's a kid knew, show. They never say he's having sex. Right. But he absolutely does. And he calls it dancing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Doctor Who has certainly had multiple companions over... He's had I mean, so many. He's so A little so bit poly. of a serial, serial monogamist in some ways, but... He has two companions know. at once all the time. That's true. Good point. Good point. Men and women. That's also Aliens true. and humans. Right. Wow. And when you have time travel, you know, mm -hmm. you can go back in time and mm -hmm. see your other companions and <laughs> you never know when river song's gonna show up <laughs> and river song has had 12 husbands so. right <laughs> all right we yeah. don't need to be that geeky yeah. <laughs> too late <laughs> all right so do you have any advice to people who are newly poly or who are maybe thinking about it trying to figure out how this might look in their lives so I don't, I don't know that I have anything new to add that we haven't already talked about, but I guess just not taking what you're reading or, or do as much reading and listening as you can. Don't, and then don't take everything you read or hear as dogma, you know, um, 
take it as a way to get take bits of useful information that might work for you. I guess also focusing on focus on your existing relationship and what you want out of that, right? And strengthening that, and making sure that is what you want, and then you'll find that it uh, new relationships just open up and are much easier to navigate. And then the only other thing that I think I haven't mentioned yet is take it slow. I think when I was trying to embrace being polyamorous, I would read and then and decide, okay, this is the right way to do things. We should implement that right away. And so, you know, we both need to be independent. And so we don't need to check in about dates. We can date as many people as we want. We can do whatever we want with, with the however many people as we want. And I think allowing yourself to take things slow and try to adjust to the new sort of reality of your relationship incrementally is okay. Even if, even if at first you have to do things that maybe aren't good practice long-term, maybe you do a little bit more sort of permission or checking in or discussion about, you know, dating other people at first that, and that might be okay. Um, as long as you're not making that permanent, as long as it's the intention is to move towards something that that's going to work long term and that's really healthy and ethical. I think, I think it's okay to to ask your partner to take things slow, and that's probably something I didn't do as much as I think I should have. And if it's something that you like me were not super thrilled about at first, realize that you're going to be uncomfortable and that that's okay. And don't have the goal of, of setting up agreements or boundaries so that you never feel uncomfortable because then you're never going to sort of grow and, and change the way that you want to, to have, to structure your relationship, become accustomed to, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to do this thing. It might be uncomfortable, but we're going to see how it feels. Lean into the discomfort. And, yeah. And yeah. say, this may feel uncomfortable. Let's see how it feels. Oh, it wasn't that bad. Or, oh, I'm getting you know, more comfortable with it and, and, and even enjoying it. And so that, that I think it would be, is something I would recommend to people. Yeah. I think that is really great advice, actually. Thanks. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's their title. Like this may feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Lean into it. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.